Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey there, internet, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. Dana here today, and on today's episode, I am interviewing Jenna Werner, who is a registered dietitian and the owner of Happy Strong Healthy, a private nutrition practice that uses intuitive eating to help clients heal their relationship with food, fitness, body, and self. In today's episode, we're going to be digging into how to evaluate our relationship with fitness, how we know if our exercise habits are becoming unhealthy, and what we can do about it. What can we do if we find resting to be really hard or when it feels like your whole identity is connected to fitness or dieting? So if you have ever been a CrossFit person, a power yogi, a runner, you tend to have an all or nothing personality with food or exercise or ever used exercise for weight loss in any way, I highly encourage you to listen to this episode because I think you'll find it very, very close to home and very identifiable. So without any further ado, let's jump right into the episode with Jenna. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm really excited to get started and talk all about fitness and your relationship with food and body image and stuff. So let's start there. Like, tell us about your journey with your relationship with food and body image growing up. Start as early as you remember. Ooh, okay. So you want this to take a while. No, I'm just kidding. If you want to. <laughs> so it's really funny because my, like, when I really think back on it, my relationship with fitness, my whole life has been super was super strong up until I was getting married. So I grew up in a family where my dad was super athletic, still is, but he was always like doing activities with us outside. Um, He was athletic in high school, not college. Um, And my mom, when we went to school, became a fitness instructor. It was never anything that she ever like pushed on us, but she set a great example. And it's funny, like I, I laugh now, like she was always the one that was like, you should really really strength train, like cardio, you know, you're going to get hurt. Cause I was an athlete and I was like, I would never do anything that she told me to do. And she also was a spin instructor. And now at my Peloton and weights are like the two things I love the most, but like <laughs> back then I, you would never catch me dead in a spin class or lifting a single dumbbell. Um, anyways, love you mom. So, <laughs> but you know, I played every single sport. I was just an athlete and not because of that. And I want to make this very, very clear. I live in a smaller body. I have what is called thin privilege. And I very much recognize that, but my body image, even back when I was younger, I always saw myself as the quote unquote strong girl. Like I had strong legs. They were maybe larger than some of the girls on my team or family members. Um, you know, my best friend, who's my cousin, who's three months apart from me, her nickname growing up was stick because she was always really lean. Right. And so she was my counterpart and I was always the shorter, like thicker quote unquote version of her. Right. And so, you know, there's like seeds that were planted my whole life of what my body looked like. It was athletic quote unquote. Fine. I embraced that. I loved sports and I played my whole, like I said, my whole life, every single sport possible. I was terrible at basketball. I was terrible at field hockey. I excelled in soccer. Like that was my thing. But anyways, I always had a good relationship with the athleticness itself until, like I said, I was getting married. And I think this is where diet culture really hits females in general, pretty hard in many different ways, but I hired my first trainer and I will never, ever forget this. I had a dress fitting. You're going to hate this comment. I can't wait to watch your face. Um, but 
I had a dress fitting for my dress and the, I think my brother was with me and I asked him to take a video of like just a 360. So I could see what the back looked like. I was excited, whatever. Um, and I loved it and I was super excited and I brought it to my trainer cause he wanted to see what the dress looked like. And he was like a former UFC heavyweight champion. Like he was like a big, scary guy and we were boxing and whatever. And he looked at the video and he was like, we really need to work on your back. Like your back looks awful. And he used those words and he was like, you present from the front so much better than from the back. Your face is exactly what I was hoping it would be. <laughs> but, and he made all these comments about how heavy air quotes, like terrible, the back of my body looked. And that moment stuck with me so, so, so hard because I was crushed. Like I was spending all this money on this beautiful dress. That was my quote unquote dream dress. I was spending all this money on, um, one-on-one -on -one training with him. I was spending all this time and effort away from like the happiness factor of getting married. And he crushed me and three seconds, just saying like how terrible it looked instead of being like, you look beautiful. Like we're going to make you feel, you know, so strong, whatever it was that he could have said in that moment, he absolutely crushed my dreams. And so I remember from that moment forward, I was, I'm pretty sure that was when I started my happy slim, healthy, which is my old username, um, Instagram page, which was my, you know, accountability heavy air quotes here to, my wedding day to be the best. Right. And I will save you some of the details here, but I want every listener to know that my wedding day, and I've said this before, um, I cut out carbohydrates for months. I overtrained for months. I absolutely killed myself in the gym and did everything wrong in fitness, being a dietitian still, mind you, um, to quote unquote, look my best on my wedding day. I was so drunk on my wedding day by the end that I don't remember the last hour of the night. And like, that's not why you have a wedding. And it's because I was undernourished, overtrained. I was exhausted and I hadn't had any alcohol for months and months because my trainer told me that was why my back looked that way is because he saw me at the bar a couple weeks ago or whatever it was like all these terrible comments. Right. And you know, that day, I think I started, I had like champagne when I was getting ready in the morning and it just escalated from there. And I had a beautiful wedding. I had an amazing wedding, but like, it took a lot of joy away from it. I also remember being on my honeymoon, being so anxious about food and not fitting into the clothes that I brought with me. Cause I was so bloated from now eating, you know, the carbohydrates that I had cut out of my life and being so uncomfortable, like, what do I do? And so that was really like my turning point with what fitness was to me. And it became this like outlet where I ran away from things and I then didn't learn my lesson. I went back and tried to fix the damage, heavy air quotes, right. That I, that I put on myself from like that lead up to the wedding, but it was like, okay, now I'm married. Like this isn't over long story short. We ended up moving out of, I lived in Hoboken at the time we moved to the suburbs. I found a new gym. I found a new community and I got so deep into being the best because I was very unhappy. If we're just being honest and many other areas of my life, including where I was career wise, you know, um, my relationship with my partner, because I was focused so much on fitness and trying to be the best at fitness, like that was completely suffering. And just, there were so many things I was unhappy with in my life that I tried to be the best when it came to fitness. And that was a space where I found I got the most praise because I was fast or because I was strong or because I, I just never said no to a challenge because that was what I was, I felt really confident in. And looking back on it, that confidence is so much of what diet culture it's where we see the most, one of the largest problems with diet culture is because you get praised for looking a certain way, heavy air quotes, when the reality is, is that when I was in that space, over-exercising all over again, under training and being called quote unquote goals and body positive or body perfection or whatever it is, right? My hair was falling out in chunks. I was wearing so much makeup to the gym to cover up how broken out my skin was and how exhausted I looked because 
I wasn't sleeping. I was waking up at four to go to the gym and, you know, take three classes before I went to work. Like that was the level of insanity I was providing, but people saw me and they were like, "Ew, she's wearing so much makeup to the gym. And like, I hope if they listen to this now, they realize it was because I was so broken um, from what I was doing to myself. Right. And so I, my skin was completely exhausted. My hair was falling out. Like I said, I lost my period for almost two years. And the biggest turning point for me, my, my bottom of the barrel, looking back on it now is I went to the doctor because I was diagnosed with PCOS and they did an ultrasound. And they told me at that time, it's going to be very difficult for you. If you don't make some changes in your life to get pregnant one day. And I left that appointment and was like, whatever, like, I don't care that I'm not ready to get pregnant anyway. Like, I don't want to change the way that I look. It wasn't about how I felt because I felt like shit. I didn't want to change the way that I looked. And when I think back at that now, like that's how much diet culture and fitness culture had crowded and just destroyed my brain that I literally said, I don't care about how hard it would be for me to get pregnant. So fast forward, there was another actual bottom of the barrel moment that said, Hey, it's time to wake up and change some shit before, you know, you really ruin your whole life. Um, and I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I had to have that moment and come out of it. It's taken so much time, but what I can tell you, and every single person is different, but when my body fat percentage came back to a normal level and when I healed and rested and allowed my body to restore itself, my period came back after many, many months. And I have a 13 month old today, um, who was conceived naturally and my diagnosis of PCOS went away too. And on top of all of that, I still enjoy fitness and I love fitness. Like I posted about it today. We were talking about it. Like it is something that like lights me up and makes me feel alive and strong, but it's completely different serving a completely different purpose in my life today than trying to fit into a wedding dress, trying to be the best, trying to get maybe compliments and attention that I wasn't getting in other places. If you really are honest, like that's what that served for me. And it's just such a different place in my life. And it feels so good to say that. But I also want to just say like, my story is unique. It takes time to heal. Um, and I'm grateful for the time that I was given and the people in my life that didn't leave me like my husband when <laughs> I was healing because it, it really, you need the support along that journey as well. How'd I do? <laughs> Great. I have so many questions. And I things guess to over, unpack. did I waste the whole time? <laughs> oh my God. No, I mean, Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing all of that. I have so many things that I want to go to go into, but the first thing that I want to talk about is how you mentioned, you know, coming out of the other side of this, how it takes time, right? And this this time can be taken in conjunction when we're healing our relationship with food and body image, or sometimes we need to work on one or the other first, right? Because even though they are very intertwined, it's really hard to work on all of this at the same time, right? And I'm sure you worked with people to like, you know, help you get out of this. Um, but I just want to say that it is so, so hard to try and find your way out of this yourself, right? There are so many different layers that Christina, and I always say this on the podcast, and I know you all too do too on your podcast, but like, please work with somebody who is in the mindset or the philosophy of where you want to be, not someone like the trainer that you used to work with who basically ruined the next couple of years of your life in three seconds. Literally three seconds. I I, I still have the video and I look back on it now and I'm like, I look so beautiful. <laughs> like I was so happy. I was so happy in that video. And I'm like, how did I let somebody take that from me? But you're right. I, what I didn't say there is there was so much therapy, like so much mental health healing that helped so much. And I remember my therapist at the time saying to me, like, what does fitness mean to you? And what does this space or these people, or, you know, this part of your life, like, why 
are you giving it so much power? And that was a huge moment for me because I didn't have the answer because it wasn't helping me. It wasn't promoting health. It wasn't adding years onto my life like fitness is supposed to do, right? <laughs> like it was taking all of that away. And that's really scary because when you're in it, you don't see that. Um, and you're absolutely right too, that the healing of nutrition and fitness. A lot of times we work with clients and they come to us wanting to heal their relationship with food. And we like dig and we're like, hold up. Like maybe we should talk about the fitness aspect first, because that is what is creating, you know, your thoughts about food and your feelings, your guilt and shame connected to the food that you're eating and the movement that you're doing. You know, it's so intertwined, but the focus can't be on everything like you're saying. And other times it takes a professional to look at your scenario and say, Ooh, this is where we're going to start so that it's less overwhelming. Yeah. And I love that you say that too. You know, even when people come for their relationship with food and they're like, well, actually I also have this other thing, or sometimes it only comes out in the consult when you're, you know, asking questions and stuff. But I always love to tell people, you know, when I'm working through someone's relationship with food, fitness, or body image, I look at it from a very, you know, like functional root cause approach of like, okay, if this is the problem or this is a behavior pattern that we're experiencing, right? Because all relationship with food and fitness stuff it really is behavioral patterns that we're looking at. And we've really seen also through the pandemic that these are coping mechanisms that people will use when they feel out of control, right? So it's like, okay, well, why are we leaning on food for this? Like, why are we leaning on food for control? Or why are we leaning on exercise for control or trying to achieve perfection or something like that? Because usually it's not the fitness or the food that's actually the root of the problem like they are a manifestation of something else so and usually I will say it's tied back to like control or perfectionism or people pleasing or trauma or body image or weight like there's so many different things that it can be which if you're just like I just want to heal my relationship with food we're like okay well we have to figure out how we got here in the first place before we can figure out you know how to add in new, new foods and stuff <laughs> So true. It's so, so true. It's like, I think there's a podcast called like, it's not about the food. <laughs> it's never really about the food, right? Because that's like the minute piece of the puzzle. And I love the question that you started this out with, like, go back to the beginning, like, body image seeds are planted at the youngest age, even when they seem to be very, very neutral, right? Like somebody calling me athletic, you know, fine. Until maybe years later, I realized what they were really saying, right? Like maybe they meant it in a positive way, but then when your brain gets in this, like, social media space. And for us, or for me, I'm old, like back in the day, it was magazines and like looking at, you know, magazine covers and what women in Cosmo looked like, right? Like they weren't being described as athletic. So what did this person mean when they said that? And it was maybe not the same desirability as, you know, what we were calling the people on the covers of the magazine. Right. And so it could be something that was said to you when you were young. I'm grateful that, you know, I didn't grow up in a family where the whole family was on Weight Watchers, which is oftentimes which what I hear from a lot of clients we work with, like, oh, I went to my first meeting at eight or 11, right? Like that's a whole different level, but it can be these little subtle words and phrases and feelings that are imparted on you at a young age that bubble and kind of come up to the surface later on in life and really have an impact. Yeah. So let's say people are either wondering about their relationship with fitness, you know, how to evaluate it, or they know that they are still kind of stuck in this patterns, even if they've been trying to work on their relationship with food, right? So we've got this kind of like conditional food freedom, but with exercise, right? Only if certain conditions are met. How do you recommend that people start to evaluate their relationship with fitness and exercise? Great question. And I think one of the biggest things is what is your relationship with rest? And will you prioritize rest or a rest day spontaneously um, based on how your body feels? And I remember back in the day, like I designated my rest day as Sunday, right? But like every other day of the week, like there was no hashtag, no excuses, right? Like no days off, all this bullshit of the rules that were surrounding my fitness. It was not a 
about how my body felt. And so the first thing is, is like, do you have rules about the workouts that you do? And if your body wakes up, so here's a great question. So then this is a big one. And this is something I preach constantly is like, if you had a poor night's sleep, whether you have a young child or not, you know, if you didn't sleep well the night before and your alarm goes off at four 30 or 5.00 AM, cause you're an early morning workout person to exercise and you had a shitty night's sleep. Do you prioritize another hour of sleep or waking up and putting your body under more stress right? Doing that workout because you have fear of missing it. And so many people will answer that alarm because that's what their fitness program or whatever their rules tell them to do. And they don't realize that the lack of sleep is putting your body at a higher state of stress. And then the high intense workout that they're most likely doing is putting their body at a higher state of stress. And those two things combined, they're not promoting health, right? So if we're working out to promote our health, which is what everybody says they're doing, are we actually helping ourselves or are we hurting ourselves? So that's the first question. The second question that I would ask too, and this is a, another big one for me is where does fitness come up as your priority? And so I remember when I was really deep in my disordered fitness days, we could even call it fitness exercise, bulimia or orthorexia or both, you know, nothing was more important than my class with my people. And so I call it fitness FOMO, but like, if you have intense fitness FOMO where like you can't miss a class because you don't want to miss a challenge or you don't want to miss like your friends being there for the workout, or, you know, that's where you only see your social engagements. Right. And you have intense stress and anxiety connected with missing a Saturday morning is that really healthy for you? You know, for me, I would prioritize my Saturday morning workout classes over weekends at the beach. Like I would go afterwards and sit in 14 hours of traffic because I live in New Jersey. And at the time I lived in North Jersey <laughs> and getting down the parkway on a Saturday morning is absolute hell. So like, but I would do that because I had this fear of missing my class. And so again, like, are these kind of things in your brain? And then the third thing I would say is, Actually, I have four. The third thing I would say is, do you consider something light and gentle fitness or movement? And do you consider it quote unquote worth it? And I mean, like taking a walk or doing a gentle yoga practice or a low impact bike ride or something along those lines, or does fitness to you mean you have to be like out of breath, high heart rate, like dragging yourself out the door. And then the last one would be if the fitness that you are engaging in never could possibly change your physical body at all, would you keep doing it? And some people will say yes, right? Even if it's hit workouts constantly, whatever it is. But oftentimes people are doing these workouts because they think they're the ones that will create the most change. And so just a caveat to that is like the stress that you're putting on, I know stress is your favorite topic, but <laughs> I love talking about it. Although you're way more clear on it, but consider that the stress that you're putting on the workout, the pressure that you're putting on that workout, plus the level of intensity of where it's bringing your heart rate in those classes, consider that those two things are not actually going to get you to a space of improvement um, and instead are likely having a very negative effect on your body and your mind. <laughs> Boom, drop the mic and leave. That's it. We're done for today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's so true though, right? And like, First of all, we do want to acknowledge, like, we totally understand, especially if you're a group exercise person, right? The social aspect is part of the reason that you go, right? So we understand, especially in, you know, crazy COVID times and everything when things haven't been as open um, as they had been in the past. Yeah, that social aspect is really important, right? But like you said, what is the point of diminishing returns, right? Are you having like a panic attack or are you extremely anxious because you're going to miss that class? I can pretty much guarantee you it's not because you're not seeing your friends that morning, right? You probably saw them last night or sometime during the week, like they're not going away, right? If you are so worried about missing one class that you feel like it has to then dictate the way that you eat or something else during your day, this is a red flag that we really need to look into. Um, so 
I want to talk about rest a little bit more, right? Because one of the ways that we can start to work out of this, especially if you're dealing with any thyroid, adrenal issues, burnout, right? Which we do talk about a lot on our podcast that we did together before. Um, What is your advice for people if they find resting really hard? And this can be related to workouts or it can be related to other things in life. (laughs) I think the first thing I would say is rest is hard because we live in a generation of hustle culture, right? And like grind culture. And if you're not busy, 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 like there's something wrong with you. And so I want to first acknowledge that it, it is hard. It is hard when it's not physical, when it's just mental, right? But I think the reality is, do you understand what actually contributes to your health? And oftentimes most people don't. And whether you have an autoimmune disorder or not, your body can only take so much. And when you are showing up to a class or to a workout on your own and your knee is hurting you, why do we think pushing through that pain is going to bring us to a greater state of health? And I think it's asking ourselves those questions to really get the answer. And, you know, I, I often tell people, you can still go for walks on your rest day, but the walk needs to not be for steps or (laughs) not be for mileage or for a certain purpose. It has to be for your just overall mental health. And like, what does that look like? Right. And if somebody says to me, I can't do that, then we know we have to go a little bit deeper. And I apologize if you can hear my baby crying, he's getting a molar. <laughs> he oh, just no. came in. Um, so <laughs> I hear him. So I apologize for that. But, you know, I think it's just first important to acknowledge that rest is very hard and I think start not starting slow is not like the right way to say it, but it's really recognizing, like, let me understand what this extra 45 minutes of sleep will actually do for my body versus pushing through a workout that could potentially hurt my body. You know, can we look at it through that lens of I'm actually helping myself by slowing down, you know, and the thing that we haven't really hit on yet either is like these higher intense workouts that you're doing on less sleep or in a state of pain, right? They are bringing your heart rate to a level that is not where it's supposed to be for continuous amounts of time on less sleep or under a pain feeling, right? Or an overworked feeling that has that inflammatory response already going inside your body. You're going to create this like fight or flight response inside your body just from exercising. (laughs) And that's not something that is, again, promoting health. And that's what I'll always go back to. Yeah, we don't need any help getting into fight or flight. Like most people are in chronic (laughs) sympathetic. nowadays. Yeah, most people are in chronic sympathetic or fight or flight activation most of the time. (laughs) The biggest challenge is to get, you know, to figure out where is that coming from and then how can we start to shift more into rest and digest, especially if you have any kind of clinical symptoms at all that are going on, right? Because, and I think, you know, we're mostly talking about With everything that you've been saying, I'm thinking of stuff like CrossFit, high-intensity interval training, power yoga, you know, Peloton intervals, like all that kind of stuff. But this is all relative, right? High-intensity interval training is a, you know, a workout modality that is promoted in certain circles and stuff, but it also is very relative to the person depending on where your starting line is, right? Like you don't have to be doing a CrossFit workout in order for something to feel high intensity. That like that is by default high intensity. And I can talk shit on CrossFit all the time because I've been doing it on and off for like more than 10 years at this point, right? We have a very love-hate relationship with that. Um, But, you know, part of the problem as well is like you've been saying is just with the culture that's ingrained in fitness as well is so many of the, and not all of them, but so many of the instructors in the high intensity space 
are very like high intensity people, right? It is hashtag no excuses, hashtag team no days off. It's like yelling in your face and everything. So it's like, even if you were just doing the workout alone in your house without any, you know, instructor virtual or otherwise at you, your heart rate is already high. You're already in fight or flight. If you then have a coach or you're in an environment that takes that to an even higher level, what do you think your stress hormones are doing? You know, and I will say it takes a long time of the rest and recovery process with your relationship with exercise before you can even interact in an environment with like that in not a triggering way. And one of the ways that you can start to evaluate of, you know, where is my, you know, we talk about progress, but not in terms of like, the scale or anything like that. But if you're trying to have a measuring stick of like, okay, am I still in the place where my relationship with exercise is pretty rocky, you know, like where it used to be? Or are we kind of moving forward here where it's more neutral, it's more positive? Start to think about, you know, the last time that you did a workout or any kind of exercise, a walk, right? How did you decide or what determined when you were done? Was it an external factor of I burned X amount of calories or I went X amount of miles or I did this many minutes or whatever? Or were you doing the activity and then as soon as your body was like, you know what, we're we're good, you decided to kind of slow down, warm down, whatever it was. Now, obviously, this is different if you're in a kind of group exercise class or if you're running a race or something like that. That is different, right? There are ways to kind of navigate your way around that. But when we're talking about a normal, you know, quote unquote, everyday exercise or workout or whatever that you're doing is it more externally motivated like other people are telling me I should do this or there's a certain marker that I'm trying to hit or is it truly I'm trying to listen to my body and see when does stopping when I feel good what does that look like and what does that feel like in my body what is my recovery like afterwards if you do a workout and it absolutely crushes you for the next couple of hours and you wake up excessively sore from like not a new movement that you did you know we can expect some soreness if you're doing something new or like particularly intense that you don't normally do that's pretty normal right but if that lasts excessively we ought to check in and see and see what's going on, friend. Like that's a little too much. <laughs> that's such a good point. And I feel like there's so many people that wear their soreness as a badge of honor. Like, oh, my workout was so hard. Like I'm so sore from it. And the reality is like your body talks to you all day long and on the intuitive eating journey or the food freedom, you know, fitness freedom, we can call it. Do we just coin that today? Maybe, um, fitness freedom journey, you know, your body, (laughs) your body talks to you all day long, but it's, it's up to you to listen and to be the student. Like we always say, like, come at it from a lens of curiosity. Like, what does this mean? Right. And the reality is, is that when you feel that soreness, a couple of things it could mean. It could mean you went too hard. It could mean you haven't rested enough. It could mean you're dehydrated. It could mean you're not eating enough before, after, during your workout. It could also mean you push too hard. And we choose not to hear these things because we're following a program or we're following, you know, what the coach said to us in class. And Again, the reason that this would be considered diet culture is because we're being taught by default to ignore our body's internal cues. And what an intuitive eating or food freedom journey teaches us is to listen to our internal cues and to honor them, whether that's I'm hungry or I'm tired or I'm full, right? Or, you know, I want this, I don't want that, whatever it is, it's the same applies to fitness. Like, what does my body want and need today? And I think another thing that you said so eloquently is like, if your intention during a workout or your plan was to run. And I remember when I was pregnant, this happened to me so many times. And I was like, oh, this is what that means. But it's like, if your plan is to like run, but like you start the run and it doesn't feel good, like physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is, do you stop or do you push through? And there were so many years of my life where I pushed through 
And again, and I use pregnancy as an example only because it's so clear. And like, you also can't like ignore those cues when you're <laughs> pregnant. Cause it's not just you at that point that's hurting, right? Like that little baby inside is feeling that too. But I remember going for a run outside and I think I made it like 30 steps, <laughs> 30 like leaps. And I was like, Nope, this is not for me today. Like nothing about this feels good. And so I'm going to walk. And I remember feeling like so proud of myself because I was able to make that decision in that moment and honor it and feel proud of it. Whereas in the past, like you said, in a a couple minutes ago, like I would have maybe skipped a meal or a snack or restricted, or even just connected guilt and shame to the act of slowing down because I went off plan. And again, like it always comes back to this. I'm like the hierarchy of things that are important for your health. Like your stress management is so important, especially in 2022, right? And so (laughs) if I then chose to not do the activity because, you know, it didn't feel good, but then I stressed about it all day long, worried about it, thought about it, felt guilty, shameful, whatever connector word you want to use there. If I thought about that all day long, was that good for me? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So it's like, there's so many layers to this healing that it's like, yes, you made the decision, but if you made that decision con consciously, right. And like you made it with a clear brain and you did something good for you, you have to go the next, the next level and honor that and say, you know, I made this decision because it was best for me in that moment. And I'm going to feel nothing but pride in that. Right. And like, check the guilt and shame at the door, like, let it go. That was the best thing for you in that moment. And it's going to pay off. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about exercise and movement and everything, but so much of healing your relationship with movement and exercise is a mental, emotional game, right? Because it's really not, you know, your physical capability, if you are, you know, this type of like gym person or, you know, an exerciser, whether or not you identify with that, so much of this is mental, right? Because <laughs> stress can come from physical stressors or it can come from mental and emotional or all at the same time, right? I mean, if you are, let's give the example that you were talking about, but in the reverse, right? If so, if we went to the gym, we we're like, oh, but I didn't sleep that well. You know, I was like sick recently. I've also been traveling. You know, work has been crazy. Like your cortisol is already way up here, right? If you then go do really anything other than like gentle restorative yoga or walking, maybe hiking, not up a huge mountain, you know, your cortisol is going to rise even more because any type of exercise that is above a low intensity is inflammatory and does produce cortisol in the body. Now, if your cortisol threshold when you go into that isn't very high, your body's resilient and it goes up and it can come back down, right? Just like exercise inherently, especially strength training, is inflammatory inflammatory but if your body is resilient and you give it the tools and the raw materials that it needs to deal with that inflammation it can come back down right people like to give cortisol and inflammation just like call them the devil basically but if those two things didn't exist humans wouldn't be alive right so like we can't just demonize them because they are helpful except when they hit a certain capacity to the point where we can't deal with them anymore and then your body's going to start telling you no we need to slow down and that's when you'll start to see a lot of inflammatory symptoms and stress and nervous system related symptoms and everything like that but honestly I don't even know where I was going with that because I just went on a whole nother tangent I love hearing you talk about about cortisol. I do. I just love it. I love hearing you talk about stress and cortisol. And like, I think where I think you are going to is like, this is when injury happens. Right. And it's like, it's these trainers or gyms or spaces that don't talk about the impact of pushing through those thresholds that cause injury and injury could be small. It could be a pulled muscle. It could be, you know, a stubbed toe. I don't know, or it could be huge. And it's your body's response then where it's like, or your choice then where it's like, am I going to start to listen? Right. And the injury is like the last thing that you want to happen. And if you can hear what your body's saying throughout this time, you know, you will hopefully avoid the injury, but it's not always guaranteed. Yeah. So, I mean, here's something to think about listeners. Um, If you are a person who's a consistent exerciser, right. And you find that you are getting these kind of like 
consistent, you know, whether little or large, but not quite to the point where they put you out injuries, right? If that if that's happening more consistently, this is a sign that we're pushing a little bit too hard. Your body is burned out. We need to take a step back, right? On the That's on the physical side of things. On the mental, emotional side of things, I want you to think about if you are going on a vacation for two weeks or your gym shut down for two weeks because this is something that happens or can happen in the future. COVID happened. (laughs) Right. God forbid anything like that happens again. But we know it's a possibility now in terms of things shutting down. What would your initial reaction and then plan B, like what would your plan be in the future? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, plan B is not a great, you know, or I guess what would your plan B be, you know? Like what would happen, you know, if your first instinct is panic attack, right, and anxiety, that's something that we need to figure out, right? But like Jenna said, always approaching this with a mindset of curiosity rather than judgment, right? If you, especially if you're now more aware of this conversation that we're having and your first instinct was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, holy shit, you know? Yeah, of course, you know, because that's been your pattern for a long time. If you use exercise as stress relief, it's your it's your social piece, you know, it helps manage anxiety, all that stuff. It can do that, but at what cost, right? So you can have a neutral, positive relationship with exercise, and it can help you with stress relief and anxiety and be social and help you be strong and healthy, but only if it's not also disordered or having an all-or-nothing mentality with exercise. So I would ask yourself those questions and see what comes up. And recognizing, too, that this is a conversation that it feels very natural for us talking about it, but what's not shown is like the years and years and years of tears and work and, you know, patients that have had to come from it. I mean, my entire identity was connected to my fitness capabilities. My whole, like really, if I'm being honest, my whole life, like I was always the athlete. And then I was like a super athlete with when I became, you know, really great in the gym. I was the person that could just like train for a week and do a half marathon. Like my entire identity was connected to fitness. And that was who I was. And I will never forget this. I've shared this before on a different podcast, but like my husband said to me once, cause my, my nutrition practice was also deeply rooted in diet culture for many years until I had my wake up moment. But I remember him saying to me when I was like in a very dark place, like what would happen or if your business is solely reliant on what your physical body looks like, like you don't have a business. And I looked at him and I was like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Because at the time I didn't want to hear that, but it is one of the most profound things like that has ever been said to me because it's so true. I was putting all this pressure on myself because I believed that people wouldn't want to work with me unless I looked a certain way and thus was killing myself really um, for an aesthetic that was not able to be kept. Right. Because when we think about it, I was dedicating, like, if we go from like a realistic perspective, I was dedicating probably six hours a day to fitness, whether it be thinking about fitness, actually engaging in fitness, and then the meal prep and, you know, time spent about food traveling to and from the gyms that were not close to my home because I wanted to be in a specific place. Right. You know, it was like four to six hours a day that I was dedicating to this. Like now I'm lucky if I have 35 minutes to exercise, (laughs) like, you know, so like in order to keep up with what I felt was the healthiest version of me, heavy air quotes, like not only did it require so much mental capacity and time and damage that I was doing, it actually took up my entire day. Like, how could I possibly do anything else? How could I possibly be a human being for anyone else? And I think that that is something that, you know, it's hard to say out loud, but again, it shows that it is possible to get to the other side of it. And my business is better today than it's ever been because I'm true to myself, right? And what this message is, and I'm actually helping people instead of hurting them with a mindset of diet culture and fitness culture. 
This is the transformation. This is the only transformation Tuesday I'm here for, right? Like this is what I want <laughs> for all of the fitness influencers and all of the diet influencers on like Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and all of it, right? Because that's the thing, like you said it so beautifully, is like your body is not your sales platform, right? And unfortunately, diet culture and fitness culture and the way that that's marketed, it really does lend people to get into personal training and into dietetics because they think, oh, if I just become obsessed with this and my body looks this way, I can basically, I mean, it sounds bad, but I can use my body to sell my programs, right? I can use my body mm -hmm. to sell these, whether it's diets or fitness programs or supplements or tummy teas or waist trainers or whatever it is. It's all the same <laughs> shit. And it's just like, and we're kind of seeing this with, you know, people that are being more exposed and like with, you know, the whole Brittany Dawn stuff that's going on right now and like getting called out by the Texas attorney general and stuff is so many people have been hurt by these kinds of programs and not only the influencers themselves, you know, who, by the way, don't even have the credentials to be handing out these programs or anything, but that's a whole nother podcast episode or maybe six <laughs> months of podcasting, but it's just so tough because I'm sure you get the same thing as I see so many people who have fallen into this like, oh, you know, I thought if I basically like ate like them and looked and, you know, worked out like them and all this stuff, then I would get the results that they wanted because that is what is sold to them, right? And if you are someone who has fallen into that, like it's not your fault. That's literally what they sold you, right? And honestly, like, it is their fault for re-promoting that, but that's what they were sold to, right? Like, they truly believe, or most of them do, right? There are a ton of shitty people out there. But most of these people truly believe that their body, you know, being like aesthetics and whatever is like automatically is so amazing for their health and they're selling, you know, like basically, again, their body in order to sell this stuff because they believe that if we all ate and exercised exactly the same, we would look exactly like them. And having worked for a functional medicine doctor for a while, like I have seen the other side of these influencers who will come to us and be like, um, actually my whole life is falling apart and I can't, like I can't handle the stress and the burnout is real. My hair is falling out. It's exactly what you were saying, you know, but on the outside, they're not sharing that because then they don't have a business anymore. And like, I have the chills because it's so true that like Instagram and social media is this highlight reel, right? And even when you share your faults or your negatives, whatever, it's like with a, people will see it with a filter on or what, however you want to say it. But the reality is, it's like, also think about what this like, and there's the, an influencer that I follow that I need to unfollow that it came up on my feed the other day that it's like, cutting season, bulking season, like maintenance phase, like think about what that's actually doing to the insides of your body, like to your heart, right? Like to your metabolism to, and like, these are words that we can say because of the real science behind them. Like you have a metabolism, right? It doesn't have to be a scary word, but like you're playing with that by changing your intake and your training and whatever else, like constantly throughout the year. And I see these things and I think about these younger human beings or just uneducated in the science and fitness world, um, people that see these and think, okay, I can do this too. And start trying to follow whatever this person posts about, but like they're missing huge chunks of it. And like really just hurting themselves, their heart, their kidneys, their livers in the process. Like it's very real. It's very, very real. And that's without even keto and intermittent fasting layered onto it. <laughs> like, don't even talk to me about, which is very real intensity. also, but we don't have time for that today. <laughs> like, oh my God, this might have to be an entire another podcast is just high intensity <laughs> interval training and keto or intermittent fasting. Long oh story short, don't do it. You will mess up your metabolism big time and hormones for a long time. So bad for you. <laughs> That's the long and the short of it. <laughs> you want all the science? We got it. <laughs> That's all you God. need to know. Just don't do it. Yeah. But it's what's sad is that people don't want to hear that and they choose not to. And what I've learned, my biggest lesson throughout the years is to stop 
So stop putting energy into the space of trying to convince people otherwise, but Mm -hmm. instead save it for people that want to hear it or are ready to hear it. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about stress and we talk about energy, like you only have a certain amount of energy to give every day. You can use it positively. You can use it negatively. You don't don't have to use it at all. But when I find when I use my energy trying to fight the the battle of diet culture from a negative standpoint, I, I'm so depleted and I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's sad to say, but there really is no point. And, you know, even if we go back to dietitian training, right, like motivational interviewing is one of the things that we learn about in coaching and everything. And if someone is not ready to one receive the information that you're putting out there or even think about putting it into action there's no point in you trying to convince them otherwise right like you can put like a floater out there and be like hey there's another point of view but I'm not going to push it on you and then you just kind of exist there as that other point of view when they will are ready they may come to you they may not but they have to find their own way there Unless it's really damaging on your own life, then you got to set a really hard boundary with them. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's so true. Oh, man. Oh, I feel like we could talk about this to talk about forever. <laughs> I <know>. Forever. <laughs> it's, I think I really do believe, though, and in our group coaching program, I'll never forget this. We have like a lesson on fitness and, you know, the difference between fitness and uh, movement and, you know, your relationship with fitness as a whole. And most people that have gone through that, that program, our first round specifically, like I remember the feedback was, wow, I wasn't expecting this one to hit me so hard, or I wasn't expecting to relate so much to this conversation. And I think because it's so normalized to be so obsessed with fitness or to be so, you know, quote unquote, healthy with fitness or, or what's the right word? Motivated or (laughs) orthorexic people that are so dedicated, (laughs) sorry, quote unquote, heavy air quotes, you know, because people are, it's so glorified and praised that we have normalized such a disordered behavior to the point where people are really hurting themselves and it's scary and people don't realize what they're doing because there's not a lot of information out there because a lot of people's businesses would suffer. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like snaps to that a hundred percent. It's so true, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff that is glorified as healthy or praised as healthy is incredibly disordered around food, around exercise, and especially around like hustle culture. You know, that really is like an underlying theme, productivity culture, you know, like wellness and discipline and productivity and all that stuff. I just, it's, it's really problematic, right? But it's praised. So here we are. Oh, man. Well, Jenna, thank you so much. This has been so, so fun to talk about. Please tell everybody all the places where they can find you. First of all, thank you for allowing me to share this story and to talk about something that I just feel so passionately about. But my name is Jenna Warner. You can find me at happystronghealthy.rd because somebody has happy, strong, healthy. And I've asked them many times if I could have it and they don't answer me. They're probably going to try and charge you thousands of dollars. I'm like, I will pay you Um, if you're listening. You can find me there on Instagram and on TikTok. um, And my website is happystronghealthyrd.com. We offer one-on-one and group coaching services and come hang out with me. (laughs) Thank you again. Hey friends, it's Dana and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.